It is a sport as old as man itself. From the ancient Greeks to the British Empire, all the way to the Gracie family, men and women have partaken in this art of combat with the promise of honor and glory in mind. Now, WFUV Sports will bring you into that realm with in-depth analysis and opinions on the goings-on in the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. This is the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound Podcast. And it is a, another very special edition of the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound Podcast. It seems like every edition is special these days. <laughs> <laughs> My name is James Cargan. Alongside me is the voice of God, Tom Terzuli, and the main man, Matt Breen. Producing for us is the venerable Mario Nicatro and our very, very special guest, the All-American, the former UFC middleweight champion of the world, Chris Weidman. Chris, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, we're good. fantastic. You guys can speak Doing up. Doing well. Thank you for well. coming on, Chris. And Chris Weidman, of course, will be taking on the self-proclaimed soldier of God, Yoel Romero, at UFC 205, November 12th at Madison Square Garden. Chris, let me just get to it first. In your wildest dreams, when you were coming up as a wrestler, as a mixed martial artist, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you would be fighting at Madison Square Garden? Um, no, not really. Not, not when I first started. Um, I started feeling like it was a, a possibility of happening when I started uh, kind of help lobby, get it, uh, getting it legalized in, in uh, New York. And I started really thinking about the possibility of fighting Madison Square Garden. So uh, I started playing it over and over in my head and uh, for it to actually be here. And uh, for, it to, for it to almost be here and, uh, and for it to actually come true is going to be a crazy experience. Aside from the fact of actually being a New Yorker, obviously you're from out on Long Island, what is special to you about Madison Square Garden? And do you have any memories of going there as a kid, obviously being a Long Island native? Oh, yeah. Um, I used to, I, I live right by the train station. Uh, I, I grew up in, a, uh, in Baldwin. It's like a 30-minute train ride. So uh, my street ran parallel with it. So I would literally just jump on the train all the time with friends and go from town to town and head to the city. Uh, from junior high and high school, uh, just kind of really looking for girls, <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, Madison Square Garden was always like a you know cool thing that you'd walk back and forth, you know, uh, by. But it was just a thing that you always just saw, and uh, didn't make. It, it's not like you thought about it every time you walked by it. But um, as a kid, I remember going to the um, the circus there. My uncle, who lives in the city, still lives there. Mm-hmm. Uh, took us to the circus. Uh, he brought me to a Rangers game, even though I'm an Islanders fan. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, the history of boxing. It was like the epicenter of, of fighting mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, and so that's why it's so uh, so huge that we're going to have the first real fighting event there coming up here on November 12th. Uh, Chris, how much extra pressure does being the All-American and the current top New York fighter bring to this next fight and to the card in general? Hey, man, not, not, nothing crazy. You know, I, I've, I've had, you know, I was champion for a while, so there's always there's always pressure, and you always put so much Even if I wasn't champion, there's so much pressure that you put on yourself to perform, and, uh, you know, you got your coaches who believe in you and expect you do, uh, to do a good job in there. And uh, so there's already that pressure on me, and, and being in New York, I think, is just another 
it's just something that's exciting. It's just exciting that I'll be able to fight in front of my uh, in front of my family and friends and fans here, right in New York. So to have that support is just going to be a fun thing and a cool experience. Now let's let's get to the fight itself. Uh, fighting, like I said, the self-proclaimed soldier of God, Yoel Romero. What concerns you the most about Yoel Romero? Because he's finished all but one of his fights in the octagon. And he has yet to lose in the octagon. So, what what specifically concerns you about Yoel? Um, him passing his drug test, which he failed his last one. That's my <laughs> number one concern. Uh, but other than that, he's a, he's an explosive uh, explosive athlete. He's a really good wrestler, but you know he gets tired. So I don't think he, he stays away from the wrestling a little bit and and tries to use uh, his strike. And he's an explosive, strong guy. Um, so uh, I think, you know, he, and he's kind of unorthodox. I don't even think he knows where he's going to be throwing. So you have to just be uh, focused, laser-focused the whole time uh, so you don't get caught with anything. And, Chris, as we know, after UFC 195, Romero did fail a post-fight um, drug test. Um, do you feel that Romero will be a different fighter now that presumably he's no longer on any performance-enhancing drugs? No, uh, I don't. I don't buy that. He's still not. That he's not on anything. Ooh, boy. Oh boy! Like some of these guys have mm-hmm. these these camps and these doctors that they 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 come out with these drugs that uh, maybe the system can't figure out yet. And I feel like he's one of those guys. Once you're on steroids, basically your whole career, um, I feel like you you can't just come off steroids. And uh, ment- like mentally, I feel like it's, obviously physically you're going to be in trouble, but mentally, I think it's going to be even worse. So. I feel like when they're used to having that crush, they'll find another way to have that crush. And I still, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, my number one concern is that he doesn't fail drug test. So we'll see. I, I think I, I don't. I don't think we'll see too much of a difference in his body or anything like that. Staying on the topic of uh, steroids for a little bit, you obviously were hearing it right now. You come up, came out very hard against UL Romero's use of steroids and steroids in the UFC in general. You mentioned before the USDA testing, you were fighting guys on steroids all the time. And you also mentioned that fighting a guy who's known to be a steroid user, it gives you a little bit extra motivation. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, these guys are cheaters, so it just gives you a little extra uh, like a, it gives me a little bit more of a mean streak. You know, I want to, I want to make sure this guy uh, pays for cheating for all these years, and um, I don't want to lose to a cheater. So I just want to make him pay for it. And usually, when you take steroids, it's because you're mentally uh, uh, not confident, you're insecure, and uh, I'm gonna just find that insecurity inside of him and beat him down. Whew, strong words. Uh... From the All-American, we are talking to Chris Weidman. Let's get to the, the fight strategy itself. Romero is a, a bit of a loose fighter, and of course he is a two-time Olympian in wrestling, but he has been taken down in the octagon before, mostly because of how loose he is. Do you expect him to be as loose and relaxed in the octagon against you, knowing how dangerous you are with your takedowns and ground and pound? Um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know if he's capable of, like, changing it up. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I always expect the unexpected. But I would say he's probably going to be a similar-looking fighter than that, that we've always seen. And uh, the problem is is that he's a shorter guy and he's explosive. And so to get to me, who is longer and has the range, he's got to explode in. And any time that you explode in, it's either I, I meet him with a punch or I can have the opportunity for a takedown. So I'm going to have to just mix it up and... Uh, 
uh, and re- wrestling is definitely it's going to be a big part of this fight. You know, I definitely would love to get a takedown, get on top of him, and uh, finish it down there. So we'll see, man. Um, do you feel? I mean, obviously, this fight is probably going to be fought on the ground a lot. Romero is a former Olympian, as just mentioned. However, do you feel like your ex- experience in both wrestling and jujitsu gives you an advantage on the ground? Yeah, I think once once it hits the ground, um, it's definitely in my favor. I don't think he. Mm-hmm. I, I think he probably has some decent jujitsu defense, but uh, as far as understanding the game with jujitsu, I think I'm definitely uh, far ahead of him on. And uh, so when I take him down, I'm going to be spreading him with submissions, and, and, and my positioning based on my threats with my submission are going to be more dominant than uh, what he could what he could do. Obviously, the fight against Romero is a huge fight, and you can't look past it. But we got to ask about this. Recently, you've been in a huge war of words with the UFC middleweight champion of the world, Michael Bisping. You were calling if you you said if you would fight him, it would be your easiest fight in years. Dan Henderson definitely gave him a lot of trouble in what was his final fight in the octagon. What did you see from Bisping at 204 that made you say that? I mean, I would have said it before even that fight. I mean, he was fighting a, a 46 year old guy who was four and six in his last six fights. So, I mean, I'm sorry, four and six in his last uh, ten fights. So, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know, I just had a hard time. You know, I love Dan Henderson. The guy's a legend, but he was at the end of his career and he got a title shot, and I thought he actually won the fight. But this thing um, was a guy who was just always like, he, he wasn't even really ever knocking on the door of being a champion or even fighting for a title. And he's been in the UFC for a long time. Um, when I was champion, I over, he was never close to fighting me. Um, he was kind of like would win one, would lose one, would win one. Uh, and but he stepped into the plate. I I got I had a title fight against Luke for my rematch, and I got injured, and he he got the call on two weeks' notice and stepped up, and he made it work for him. I and mean, he went out there and knocked out Luke, and all power to him. That was that was, that was crazy. That was good for him. Uh, and then he got a great matchup, and Dan Henderson is his first title defense. So um, I just don't. I think, I mean, I've been fighting legends of the sport in my last bunch of fights with some of the most talented guys. Uh, he just he just would be one of my, uh, I'm, not even being, I'm not even trying to call him out, but he would be one of my easiest fights on paper. You never know what's going to happen in there, but on paper, he would be one of my easiest fights for sure. Now, back to uh, MSG, none of us, I mean, nobody, not even employees of MSG, people around New York, almost nobody can get tickets how are you? Are you able to get tickets for your friends and family to this one? No, <laughs> we get like a little. We get like a little. We get we get this uh, pre-sale code that everybody pretty much gets. If you're like a member of UFC Fight Pass, I think, or Gold Club, or something like that, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I got to get to my family. And a lot of them were able to get. Some of them were able to get tickets. Some of them weren't. It's it sucks, man. I really have no pull with that. I get four tickets. I give that to my mom, my dad, my my uh, my wife, and my father-in-law. So, other than that, I don't get any free tickets. I don't get any discounts. It's just uh, these tickets are crazy expensive too. So, uh, it's a tough spot. I mean, this is a historical event. Wow, four tickets—that's crazy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But uh, all of us in this room right now, and I'm sure a lot of other people would agree that when you finally get to MSG for your fight, it's going to be a hometown reaction equivalent to a Brazilian fighter going back to Brazil, George St. Pierre, when he fought in Canada. For, for fighters, they each have a different reaction like in terms of what the crowd does for them. When you finally get to the Garden and you're going to get this huge reaction that we're all anticipating, does that help you when you go into a fight? 
I think so. I'm used to kind of getting booed. You know, I put all these <laughs> Adam Vegas and all these Brazilian fans for the most part would always just boo me. And uh, so it's going to be pretty cool to hear uh, hear some support and hear some some uh, some positive vibes walking into Africa for sure. I don't know how it's going to feel. Chris, also with the upcoming fight, the reason that Michael Bisping did win is because you did have to pull out of the fight with Luke Rockhold um, and have surgery. Are you 100% now? No concerns about your health? Yeah, no, thank God. My neck has uh, my neck is completely fine. Um, Good to hear. I got cleared six weeks out from surgery, and I, got, and I had the surgery in June, so I've been cleared for a while. Uh, my first time I wrestled, it felt like really weak, and I was getting taken down by guys I usually just don't get taken down by. And I'm like, man, this is terrible. I guess it's just like the new me. And then, uh, so it was kind of like the press for a little bit. And then I wrestled again and my power, everything came back. So now I just needed one tune-up session of wrestling. Now I have zero pain, zero weakness. Everything is uh, better than ever. Now, I don't want to look ahead beyond this card too much because this card is the pinnacle. But are you at all looking for maybe an impactful performance to sort of score style points to tell the UFC, hey, this next title shot is mine? I mean, it's it's definitely an extra thing, but uh, I, I mean, I put so much pressure on myself. I want to finish these guys every single time I go in the octagon, regardless, so it doesn't really change anything. I, I want to go out there and really dominate this guy. Um, that's my mindset. I'm, I'm, I'm far from thinking, like, all right, I want to squeak out a decision here. You know, it's I want to finish this guy. So, talking and about, if I finish, I might think it opens up all these all, all those other opportunities. Talking about the middleweight division and title fights, probably the middleweight division right now is the most interesting division in the UFC. What's your overall assessment of it right now? I agree. I think it's one of the toughest divisions um, in the UFC. A lot of a lot of really good guys. Um, it's just weird. The champion is probably not one of the best guys, you know, I don't know if he's like a, but I haven't truly be like a top 10 guy. I mean, I don't even know. I don't think he'd be a favorite in, against any of the top 10 guys. He was like a small favorite against number 14 guy, Dan Henderson. So I, I don't even know. Um, but other than that, other than him, everyone's really good. Now I want to, I, I, I want to get you off on this one last question. Uh, you were just on uh, the Kevin James sitcom, Kevin can Kevin can wait. You were you played a cop on that show. Couple, uh, first of all, what was that like? And second of all, how much did Kevin uh, know about you and mixed martial arts in general? Oh yeah, me and Kevin became really close friends over the last uh, couple of years. He lives out in Long Island, uh, so. We became real close. Our families are close. And uh, he gave me the opportunity on the show. I was just like, oh, man, I don't want to mess this up. He gave me a huge opportunity, <laughs> you know, big speaking role. I've never really done anything like that before. So he took a chance with me, and uh, I had a great time. It was fun. And by the end of the thing, I wanted to keep going. I wanted more lines. And <laughs> at first, like, he showed me my thing, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a lot of lines. I, I, you know, you wanted less. I'm like, I'd rather just stand there, not say anything. And then uh, by the end of it, I'm, I was ready to keep going. You know, I, it, would be, it really is a fun. It was pretty fun. Do you think you uh, you're gonna be a recurring character on the show? <laughs> I think so, man. It'd be crazy not to. It'd be crazy not to. I think I'm probably the best actor they've ever had. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
It really would be a detriment to this show if they didn't. Uh, you're, you're no, uh, you're no Paul Blart, but uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll see. But uh, I don't know what's going on there. But uh, Chris, we we are we as member of the members of the media are sort of forced to be unbiased in a way. But we may have to waive that clause here. We're all pulling for you. Everybody in New York, everybody in the city uh, is pulling for you. I'm from Long Island myself, Chris, so rooting for you. Uh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Where, where at? Uh, I'm from Manhasset. All right, cool, man. I'm mm-hmm. in Dick Sills now. So. Okay, my uncle I'm lives in Dick Sills now, actually. Awesome, man. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. Thanks. This is the Small Talk Podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> but, Chris... Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Uh, good, best of luck to you at UFC 205. We will all be watching. Uh, I hit the lottery because I'm going to be there. But thank you so much for for coming on here. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man. Thanks thank so you. much, Chris. Thanks again, Chris. Peace out. Bye-bye. And that was the All-American Chris Weidman. And I may have broken a little bit of journalism code there by expressing my support for him, but just everything he's done for the sport of mixed martial arts in the state of New York and right here in the city of New York, it's hard. It would be hard not to just not to root for the yeah, guy. Nobody's blaming you, James. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's he's from Long Island, James. I'm, I I'm I know. Guy. If anyone who should have bias, it's Matt, being mm-hmm. the only actual Long Island native on this panel here. Now let's talk. Let's talk about uh, the fight and what he just said for a little bit. First of all, he is he is not a fan of the Soldier of God. He's not a fan of the stretch. He's not a fan of the Soldier of God, and he's not a fan. He might be even less of a fan of Michael Bisping. And I. I it seemed like he really had a vendetta against steroids. He was trying to prove the world, like, I'm not on steroids. This guy is. I can still beat him. That's what, that's what well, he seemed like he's this, trying to. This is, uh, yes, Chris Chris is making it as, like, a, a good versus evil type of deal. And I don't, it's hard to blame him. I mean, now with the USDA testing, it would be hard for anybody to assume that somebody is on performance-enhancing drugs, especially with the uptick of people getting caught these days. But and, and in terms of the matchup itself, I think this is a fascinating matchup. First of all, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Chris assumes that the Soldier of God, Yoel Romero, I just like saying that, I don't know it why. It is a cool nickname, even though I, we're cheering it, it's for hard Chris to, it's hard. It's hard to just proclaim yourself as the Soldier of God. But nonetheless, he assumes that Yoel Romero will look just as jacked as he has in the past. I mean, he looks like in the past he just he looks like he's a football tight end. He, he looked like he was like chiseled out of a stone. Middle yeah. linebacker. He can truck anyone. A, if he was a, a middle lot, linebacker, if he was a linebacker, LeBron James type. That's how physically freakish. Romero is, and maybe that's due to his steroid use. So yeah. I'm not sure how he's going to look. Yeah, well, and you, Weidman mentioned that he's not. He doesn't think that Yoel's going to look different in terms of his body. I guess we're going to have to wait and see how Yoel's going to look because we- Weidman said he. What's it called? He no one has. He thinks drug he's test still on it before he says right. he's off now, it. When Vitor Belfort get got off of his testosterone treatment. 
he looked like a different guy. He did not look the same. Not even in the way he fought. In, in, which in was, his appearance. Yeah, obviously he was. seems like he's been less of a fighter, but in his appearance alone, he lost a lot of mass. And I guess if we can look at how uh, he's, Yoel's going to look come fight time, if we see a loss of mass, then... You know, maybe Weidman was wrong, and he's still he's he's off the steroids. And, you know? and that's that's been Romero's biggest asset. Obviously, his wrestling is, is top flight, but his power he has some of the he may have been he may be or may have been the had or had the most power of anybody in the middleweight division. I mean, he's I, knocked guys out with the spinning back fist, and he, and we remember what he did too. Lyoto Machida, that was frightening. I mean, we know that he's one of the best. Like, he's obviously known for his wrestling, but, like, you know how powerful he is. Like, his when he beat Uriah Hall, that was a scary knockout. Like, he has he has heavy hands. Well, let's say he, he's off the steroids, and his power was at least at least a little bit provided by... Oh, I, was, I was talking about the Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah at least a little bit provided by the steroid use with Yoel. Let's say he's off the steroid use, and now he relies more on that Olympic wrestling background coming into the fight with Weidman. Is that a wise strategy? Because Weidman is also, as we mentioned in the interview, a very effective guy on the ground. He was an NCAA wrestler in his own right, and he's great at the ground and pound. So you, you'll just have to wait and see what Yoel does. The I, thing is, he has... Weidman also has a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's huge. Right. If you're, I mean, he was a division all one, uh, NCAA Division One All American, black belt in jiu-jitsu. Not there's not many people that can beat him on the can ground. can boast both of those things. Yeah, you know? and plus he's, I mean, his ground and pound is as good as anyone in the UFC. Now, I, our listeners can can chime in on this as well if you can tweet me at Real Cargan, um, but I don't remember. Chris Weidman fighting when he did not have a takedown. His stats, 24 total takedowns in the UFC. That's incredible. And 26 passes when he takes you down. We saw that he took when he took down Lyoto, even though he didn't finish that fight. When, once he got that first takedown, it the door was open. And then he took down Anderson Silva and stayed with him on the ground in that first fight. Not many people mm-hmm. can say that. So and of course when he took down Vidor that was the end of the fight. He just he passed, he got them out and that was the end of the and that was the end. So when he takes you down usually you're going to lose. It's yeah, it's it's like a matter of time. Like it, we know on November 12th we're going to see at least once UL Romero get taken down by Chris Weidman. It's a matter of what Romero and Weidman do when they're on the ground. An NCAA Division 1 wrestler versus a two-time Olympian wrestler. You have to see how it goes in terms well, of position. Well, once he's on the ground, I think Romero I I agree with Chris's assessment of what would happen on the ground. Romero may have decent jiu-jitsu uh defense, but I mean in terms of pulling guard, I do not see him as being a dangerous guy in in that sense. But Yoel, and, and I mentioned it to Chris, Yoel's takedown defense has not been, has, has been a little spotty mm-hmm. in the past. He, he always looks for the big shot, but, and he fights, he's such a relaxed fighter. Every time he's in there, it, it's no problem. But he's been taken down before by lesser wrestlers. So, I'm wondering, will he, he fight usually, tight? 
he can usually beat them if he gets taken to the ground. That's oh yeah, the thing. I mean it's been no but problem with, with Weidman. That's now it's a, a bl- story. he's facing a black belt I mean, in jujitsu. Yeah, it's it's different. It's never been a problem for Romero. He just gets up and knocks the guy out anyway. But will we see a tighter Yoel Romero? I mean, if you're used to fighting one way, it's very hard to change just because it's a a big fight. And who knows if his Training trainers are even bringing that up to him because if a fighter is comfortable fighting a certain way, it might throw them off if they change at least the basic way in which they fight. Now, I'm gonna, we're gonna, at at some point, we're all going to predict uh, the fights. Well, the last of the fights for UFC 205, but I I do honestly believe that Chris Weidman has the edge here. If because all it's gonna take for him, in my opinion, is one takedown. That's all it took against Belfort, and I think that's all it's going to take against Yoel Romero. Of course, anything can happen in the octagon. If Romero comes in and he retains his power, he's a dangerous fighter. He is a very dangerous fighter. If he hits you, it's going to hurt. But I think that Chris Weidman it has a is easily a more complete fighter and all he takes is one and I think if he gets that one then it would be lights out for SOG and that's not uh and a biased opinion obviously we do no, want I mean, we do biased. want Weidman to win an unbiased opinion is I mean Weidman is the more complete yeah, fighter exactly. he is my favorite I think but, he's the favorite for a reason I think he yeah. has the advantage as James said I think he's a more complete fighter former champion of the world you know mm-hmm. it's you, you don't get there for for nothing three, so. he had three title defenses too right so it's 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 not because of us being New Yorkers it's just if you look on paper he's a, he's the more complete fighter as James mentioned just real quick the odds of the fight Weidman is minus 160 uh Romero is is plus 140 so of course Weidman is the favorite it's not by too much it's not by but a it's, lot, a, it's yeah. a decent amount he's a decent favorite right in uh in this fight Maddie, how do you see this one playing out what Romero the fight I mean I I see I think Weidman if he can stand up with him and beat him in stand-up. He is a, he's taller than him, has a better reach. If he can maybe like get him with a couple headshots, make him a little dizzy, damage him a little bit with his stand-up, and then I think if he takes him down to the ground, it'll be over. But Weidman has to be very careful because, I mean, assuming that he has this, uh, that Romero has the same power, he can knock you out in one punch. Right, and, w- and if Romero gets on the top, his ground and pound is also incredible. Exactly. I-, I think the only stage of the game that I'm worried about for Weidman against Romero is the stand-up. He does if have he, the reach advantage. I he think does he have can... the reach advantage, but power has to go to Romero, yes. I think. If, if there was one advantage he has going in, it's it's got to be his power. So if Weidman can prepare himself to withstand the power of Romero on in the stand-up and then get a takedown on him, I don't see a way he can lose. Now, all right, so let's get to uh, some news and notes from around the fight world. Let's let me just talk. mention let me just mention one thing. What was that? You're, let's talk. You're, I want to talk Uriah Faber. Now, I, I, we're about to get to that. Let me just mention, let me just tell a quick story uh, real quick. Last week we had Ariel Helwani on the show. Uh, my fan, our fantastic, the fantastic people at the UFC who, who are just unbelievable. Uh, they, they offered, uh, we, they tried to get a Lyman Good to come on to the show. Lyman Good is a New York-based fighter who was going to fight on uh, the undercard of UFC 205. We weren't able to get him on the show, but as of yesterday, he was busted by the USADA and is out of UFC 205. So 
I think we may have dodged a bullet Might there. have dodged a bullet <laughs> on that one. It's, life works in funny ways sometimes. I, 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 I'm thankful that we were able to get Ariel on the show last week. Um, Ariel was a great guest, uh, just as we had a great uh, guest this week. Guest. Yes, let's get to the news that Maddie just mentioned. Uriah Faber, uh, who just announced that his fight at the UFC on Fox card in Sacramento will be his last fight. And I think that it is time for Uriah because his fight against Jimmy, a friend of the show, Jimmy Rivera, he looked like he was done. Yeah, he he, he, really he looked did. like he was done, and it was he was dominated. He he looked like an older fighter against Jimmy is, Rivera. Jimmy Rivera looked like the next generation of mm-hmm. thirty-seven you know. years old. Not everybody can last to forty-six. He started and, in the UFC when he was thirty-one, so he was already like not the youngest, springest chicken when he started. You know, he, I mean he, I mean he was very very accomplished. Accomplished I mean, before coming to WEC. I think that's successful defenses in WEC. That's yeah, where his legacy comes one from. One of the first. WWE. Yeah, he was one of the first uh, featherweight champions of the world uh, in the WEC. Of course, he's he fought for a while for a while at bantamweight. Uh, but he. But when you think of mixed martial arts and the UFC in general, one of the first people that comes to mind for me. Is Uriah Faber Team Alpha Male? I mean, and he started Team Alpha it. Male. That's which... T.J. Dillashaw, Joe Benavidez. He started that group. Yeah, and when and when you look at just what he's accomplished in the UFC, it obviously doesn't jump off the page. He came in when he was 31 years old, nine and six, zero oh and four in title defenses. But <sighs> when you're looking title shots. a title, title shots, fight. excuse title fights, yeah, excuse me. But if you Look at what happened before that in the WEC. That's mostly where he made his name. And the WEC was not a joke of an organization oh, by gosh. any means. No, that was it the produced, precursor. It produced so many good fighters that would go on to have great careers in the UFC, like Dominic Cruz, Anthony Pettis, Benson Henderson, Aldo, uh, Donald Cerrone. It's so Aldo. many. Aldo right now is Dominic. So if you, there are a lot of people who probably just got into the UFC now that are thinking, why is this Uriah Faber guy who keeps getting title shots so honored? I think but then that, if you look back in history, you see why. I think, also, every, I think the guys in the UFC now know everything he's done. Not, not the he fighters, did, people who oh, follow the UFC uh-huh. now who he just started. You know? pioneer the bantamweight division for the UFC, though. I mean, the bantamweight division. I forget it, it hasn't been around that long. No, I mean he has the most wins in in UFC bantamweight history. He has the most submissions in UFC bantamweight history. I mean he, I mean until the WEC and Uriah Faber, which which carried that, there were no smaller fighters. Lightweight was the was the smallest division that the UFC mm-hmm. had. They he helped make smaller fighters, you know. He paved the way for guys today like Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. That and Team who, Alpha Male to, was huge And Team Alpha Male. So hats off uh, to Uriah Faber Question. for an unbelievable career. And I was going to ask Do you this. think he's going to make the UFC Hall of Fame? He should. Uh, yeah, he should. he's not even close. I mean, he's obviously a Hall of Famer. Is he the greatest fighter to never hold a UFC championship belt? Dan Henderson? Yeah. I, I, I would point taken. Him. Point taken. The two of them. That's point taken. I'll give you that. I'll um, give you Dan Henderson. Uh, yeah, but Uriah Faber is certainly in that conversation. He lost some close fights. Uh, unfortunately, he was never able to get to uh, grab the title belt. One of the best, like lighter and weight he will be submission artists I've 
And uh, no doubt. December 17th, uh, he will be fighting Brad Pickett on the UFC on Fox card. It's great that he's going to go out in his home in Northern California, Sacramento, will be where that card takes place. Hopefully the fans there come out and show their Oh, they will. They definitely support will. for the California kid uh Uriah Faber. So a couple other news and notes. UFC 207 is starting to take shape as well. Dominic Cruz uh just announced that he will be defending his bantamweight championship speaking of the bantamweight division against Go- uh Cody Garbrandt. And that will be on that Friday night in December 30th in Las Vegas. That's going to be a good one. Uh, Dominic Cruz looks unbeatable now. I Dominic mean, Cruz so good. Cruz is opening up as a pretty good favorite right now, minus 220, which for a UFC mm-hmm. fight is a pretty f- solid favorite. I mean, Dominic Cruz's only loss ever, it's, speaking of Uriah Faber, is Uriah Faber. Yes, but he, of course, did, uh, he did, he did in convincing fashion. I might add, and there's rumors now for UFC 207 that we will see a highly anticipated rematch between, oh, I'm so pumped, for Fabricio Verdum, Cain Velasquez. We all know what happened. We all know what happened the first time they met in the octagon, the last time they met in the octagon in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. Cain Velasquez was, it was a huge upset. Fabricio beating him making him look tired, the altitude may have played in. I like I I think hot take alert that Cain Velasquez is the best heavyweight in the world. Yeah, it's it's I possible. I think he beats Fabricio. I think he has to go I think he has to go back and beat Stipe. Too. I think well, he yeah, is I'll the best heavyweight that, in the world. I think if he were to fight Stipe that he would defeat well, him. Well, if he wins this fight, is it logical to, to Oh, get he's a title the guy the fight, he's Stipe. got the shot. Yeah. He's got he's the shot, lot. no doubt. But I just think that Cain Velasquez is a complete, complete mixed martial artist. He is, uh, he just gets in your face. He does not stop. When he gets you down, it's over. Just ask Bigfoot, <laughs> uh, in, and just ask anyone else really that he's fought. He is, I think, one of the most dangerous guys in the entire UFC. Formerly the baddest man on the planet as the champion. I think that it's only a matter of time for. Until he gets, until he regains that belt. So now let's get to a topic we haven't talked about lately: boxing. Oh, who knew that existed? <laughs> this has been such a quiet period for boxing. It's about to pick up with in November on, in you know, on November fifth, uh, with the bout between Manny Pacquiao and Jesse Vargas. And then you got Ward Kovalev. So and then Ward it, Kovalev. But I, what I want to get bit. to is. The recent uh, fight calendar announced by Showtime. Uh, we have not seen many big-time boxing cards on TV throughout the fall. It's been a very quiet period, but we've got some good ones coming yeah, we do. up. Uh, what I the first one that sticks out to me, January twenty-eighth, the rematch of the fight of the year of this year. I don't think there's any doubt what the fight of the year is. Carl Frampton and Leo Santa Cruz. Carl Frampton, the Irishman. And it's just, I, I'm so pumped. For, yeah, I'm just so pumped just to have them get back into the ring. It's something you don't see that often in modern boxing is that, like, 
these two fighters, Frompton and Santa Cruz, put on a show the first time they were in the ring together, and then there was such a demand for a rematch, and we actually got one on Showtime. And and just the fact that Showtime got this fight. This is almost it, worthy of pay-per-view. Honestly, yeah. I, I'm surprised it's actually not on pay-per-view. That's good for us that we don't have to pay for it. But it's a really impressive lineup that Showtime's putting out for free, not on pay-per-view. And this is probably the, just the top bill of it. And, and Frampton... And Frampton and Santa Cruz, that fight played out. Santa Cruz, probably the most skilled fighter, but Frampton Brawler, the brawler, he... Frampton uh, is a guy made for an entertaining fight. He's a brawler, and he, he dragged got Santa Leo Cruz. Santa Cruz to he, fight his yeah. fight. Santa Cruz did not fight the fight that he wanted to fight. He fought the fight that Frampton wanted. Like, and, and that made and, for And it's one. tough. When you're in the ring like that, it's an emotional time. Your, your emotions are running high. You're fighting for your world championship. He was dragged into the mud by Frampton, and Frampton came out on top. It'll be interesting for me to see what Santa Cruz does here, whether he tries to box him more right. like I thought he should have in that first fight. And as a viewer, I hope that Santa Cruz doesn't try to box him because that oh, was well, what I made mean, the first fight so entertaining. I think it's just a matter of time. Like He'll probably try to keep his strategy the first two, three rounds, but I think it's a matter of time before Frampton, uh, Frampton drives him into his and own And unfortunately, fight. that fight is in Las Vegas and not in Brooklyn where the first fight took place. But it will be an, an incredible bout nonetheless. And so another fight for Showtime is Adrian Broner about billiards. He, unfortunately, he teased depression problems in a recent Instagram post. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that was. He's going to be fighting Adrian uh, Granados on February 11th. This It's so frustrating because he's such an, he's an unlikable guy, but he's got so much talent that it's... And it doesn't feel like he takes boxing seriously enough. Mm -hmm. He's he's so talented, and if you look at this entire uh, lineup going from December 10th to March 4th of these fights that uh, Showtime put out, I think that's the the one that doesn't jump off the page, but could also be a great fight. Just because Broner is so entertaining, and it's I just think he's the most polarizing guy in boxing. If he currently, if he took it more seriously, I I think he could be. 20 times more successful than he is. He's a bull, and he's he's not a very entertaining fighter. That's another problem that he has, but he he should be in the championship hunt, but he is not. He's 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 not like a really talented guy. He, in, he, no, I mean he, he, he is, is a really talented. He, he is a really talented guy. guy. I meant in terms of like entertainment. He he doesn't put on like a crazy show when he's in the ring, but he's a, a very talented fighter. And if you're into just pure boxing skill, Adrian Broner is somebody you could watch and and really learn something from. But also another fight that jumps off the page to me is the last one that they put off. Oh, of course, March fourth, Danny Garcia against Keith Thurman. Danny Garcia. It's a unification fight. Finally, fighting somebody of note. Like Danny Garcia has been fighting nobodies ever since he won the title. So it's going to be great to see him actually fighting a somewhat worthy contender in Keith Thurman. Danny Garcia has been a punchline for boxing pundits, especially especially throughout the past month or so. Oh my god, it's been ridiculous. Just trying to get teased, a fight made when he's teased all these fights. With legitimate scrubs, with people that we've never heard of. Never, like Sam Edgington. Like, oh who, my goodness! Who is he throwing out? To You're a champion. These sound like the guys that are that wrestle that are the jobbers that wrestle Braun Strowman on Raw every week. Seriously, that's that's what it is. But 
Keith Thurman Keith is Thurman, no jobber. Danny Garcia, undefeated title unification bout. Danny Garcia, the WBO champion of the world in the welterweight division. Keith Thurman, the WBA champion. Keith Thurman, in my opinion, without a doubt, is the number one lineal welterweight champion of the world. Currently, he will open up as a good favorite. I liked Swift. Um, I saw Swift beat Lamont Peterson live in Brooklyn. That was at 140. It was a great, great fight. Um, Danny eked out a decision win in that one. Lamont, I thought, had the ability to win that fight, mm-hmm. but didn't take advantage. But ever since Garcia's moved up to the welterweight division, he's fought nobody. He's he's essentially fought nobody. He fought. I did he fight Paulie Malignaggi? He did fight Paul. He fought, uh, he, uh, he fought uh, on his you know on his last legs, Paulie Malignaggi. And I love oh, my wow. man Paulie Malignaggi, but, but he was done by the time he fought Danny Garcia. But even better, he might actually f- get two big name fights in a row. Talking about Garcia, because Amir Khan most likely will get the winner of Garcia and Keith Thurman. So, I'm always been a, a fan of Amir Khan. So, Danny will be forced to fight actually two legitimate fighters in a row if he wins this one because it's a mandatory. He he was actually ordered a mandatory title defense against Khan, but Khan didn't want to get in the way of Garcia Thurman. So he's going to wel- get the winner. The welterweight division, in my mind, is the one that sh- is the one that I think really could use a one single unified champion because there's a lot of guys in that welterweight division that are worthy but and and it would be fun in my opinion to see guys like Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, Kel Brook, uh Khan, Tim Bradley, even Pacquiao slug it out to see who the better man is. So I'm hoping that we see a lot of that. I think boxing in up. general would benefit from a singular oh, championship like the UFC, and then you wouldn't have guys like Danny Garcia who just sit on their belt and fight nobody. So it's, it, I definitely think that and would be, they would benefit from that. And I guess one last point you we want to get into for boxing is that uh, heavyweight division again, bad news. I, Klitschko uh, was obviously supposed to fight Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury stripped of his belts by the WBA. Okay, we're going to get a nice Anthony Joshua-Vladimir Klitschko fight. Not exactly what we wanted, but could have been a decent oh, fight. a good fight. And then I love Joshua. Probably a better fight than what Fury would have given him. But then Klitschko gets hurt. Now Anthony Joshua is going to fight in that December 10th slot some other scrub from the heavyweight division. So it's, again, heavyweight division just continues to disappoint. Just just bad news again. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, what what are you going to do? Yeah, what, what so you do? with that, we are out of time here. This has been the October, what's today's date? This, is, this has been the October 26th edition of the WFEV Sports Pound for Pound podcast. The countdown to UFC 205 is on and will continue throughout the week. You can log on to WFEVsports.org to get further coverage of UFC 205. For my good partners, the main man, Matt Breen, for the voice of God, Tom Terzulli, for our venerable producer, Mario Nicastro, I am James Cargan, and until next time, we bid you adieu.